0: listening to Most Certainly True, a podcast of Grace Lutheran Church in downtown Milwaukee. It has been said that history is really His story, the story of God showing His grace and mercy to the people He has created. That grace and mercy is on clear display in the Gospels as we see our Jesus living and dying for the sins of the world. But His story continues, the story of the early Christian church is his story as well. We are glad that you have chosen to read that story with us, as together we read chapter by chapter through the book of Acts. We'll review the stories of God's grace and mercy on his infant church and celebrate that same grace and mercy that we know and experience today. We are glad to have you studying and growing with us. Here's the next episode of our podcast, and the discussion of the next chapter of the Book of Acts.
1: Thank you, faithful, Most Certainly True podcast listeners for coming back and and checking us out with another episode of Most Certainly True. I'm Pastor Brian Hockman, one of the pastors at Grace, and it's my pleasure to introduce to you my co-host for the day, Pastor Jim Hebner How are you today? Pastor
2: Hockman, I'm great. Great to see you again, as always, to be together. Just fun doing ministry together and doing podcasts together. So yeah. here we are, having some fun. You're okay? It's, uh, Things are do we, good. Dare, dare we uh, even peg this in some time frame? We're in the summer now. It's actually, right? You're looking
1: yeah. especially comfortable today. Well, yeah. yeah.
2: <laughs> That's... Uh, all right, I'm in a I'm in a home painting project. I'm I haven't cleaned up yet, so came in to do a podcast. and I look terrible, but you do not. Yeah,
1: you look like you're my painting clothes.
2: <laughs> I've had these for a long time. I just wear the same. So wash them and put them back on. So they got the stains from years.
1: <laughs> Our podcast listeners might not know um, your history of, of painting. <laughs> Pastor Junior uh, served on the paint crew in right. Newell, Minnesota.
2: That was a great job for a kid when you're high school, college, and even into my seminary days. Because I'm living on campus with, you know, obviously my folks did in New Elm, Minnesota, our college of ministry. And it was a privilege. Profs, profs kids many times would be asked. It was not everybody. So it was an honor. And we worked hard. <laughs> not for a lot of money to start with, but it was or- hourly pay and later I think it was about 10 summers maybe that I did that. Okay. That was and we worked 6 hours a day. 9 7:30 in the morning to 5:30 even on Saturdays.
1: It's just kind of funny the legend of being on the paint crew. <laughs> so uh, your friend was a colleague of mine up in yeah, Alaska who's
2: 2 years ahead of me and he was my initial boss. We had 4 of us, just 4.
1: Yeah.
2: You know and uh, dear dear friend, we get to be very close working that many summers together. Not maybe about 4 or 5 before your friend Jim and my friend, yes. Pastor Oldfield, now in heaven.
1: He is in heaven. Um,
2: yeah, then he ended up in Alaska many so in years Alaska, and you got to know him. I
1: hear a lot of paint crew stories yeah. from Jim Oldfield and then, yeah. except the call to grace and I'm hearing paint crew stories. Yeah. like, I got to find out what this paint crew thing is yeah. all about.
2: <laughs> well, when I, you know, the, it's an interesting thing in our Wisconsin Synod, um, and I don't know, I won't be a name dropping kind of, a, I just, this is just, it's just an interesting phenomenon in that in our wells ministry pastors teachers we include staff ministers now um there is a name the last name is sievert s i e v e r t and it was a large i don't know if large but it was it was a it was a number of men and women who ended up in either pastoral or teaching ministry most of them in the teaching ministry. And I don't know how it happened whether this was in their family but you know teachers years ago in Lutheran schools um well I'll let's just be honest there wasn't there was a a commensurate salary that you would maybe even be as livable as you would nowadays God has blessed his people to support ministry and so Pastors, teachers have a livable, fair, and loving, and kind, and we, we're doing okay financially and whatever, but not not teachers so much. And then, you know, some churches didn't pay but nine months. They may Some churches may have had a 12-month salary system. Some didn't. So it wasn't unusual for some of our Lutheran teachers to have two or three months that they would need to get a part-time position and do some work. In the Sievert family, though, they're were boys who, as in their teaching ministry, um, painted houses, and then later on, wherever they were, at um, any rate, there was a there was a teacher, I believe, in the Manitowoc area. He had his own Sievert paint crew, and there was a teacher in Fort Atkinson, Wisconsin. He had a paint crew with other teachers, and they painted in the summer, and his twin brother was a professor at the college in New Ulm. And that was the Professor Sievert in the college who began a paint crew with another professor, Professor John Oldfield. And then they would have, like, their boys would be part of this crew. Now, as those boys, some went on to pastoral ministry or other careers, then they would use other students of that age, high school, college age, to become part of their Sievert and Oldfield paint crew is really what it was, and we would work sometimes for people in the community, but mostly on that campus in New Ulm, it would be you know you've got all those buildings there are enough inside buildings and out to
1: keep you busy for the plus summer, right? you
2: have you know later on there was seventy professors, and they many of them in those days didn't own their own homes. These were college owned homes that needed upkeep, and then in the summertime that meant in nice weather we had plenty of work to do these homes. Or if it's rainy, we could be indoors on campus, a classroom or a dormitory room or so on. And So we always had work, and and those two professors were wonderful bosses. By the time I came on, they did not paint full-time. They would be teaching summer classes, and they would be sort of guiding our paint crew, and they'd pop in to check how we're doing on a job. And rarely would they put on their paint overalls and join us, but occasionally
1: supervisors.
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: And so then they would have <laughs> on site one of the painters, one of these professors' kids who'd been more veteran would be our crew boss, and that was the case when I started. He was only two years older than I, but he was our Chamberfield dear, dear friend, but also my boss. You know, and, <laughs> but you learn a lot about the craft and 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 how to go about it. And I I can't do much else. I can, Maybe write a sermon and teach a Bible class and visit people, but I can't fix your computer and I can't, I can't change your oil on your car. And I could paint. There you go. <laughs> That's one thing I learned. I can't, I'm not a woodworker. I don't know. I don't, I'm just very limited, but that I can do. So <laughs> it's kind of a <laughs> crazy I should
1: have thought of that when uh, we were painting the, the entryway in our house. Yeah. I yeah. should have, yeah. hey. Pastor Henry, I'll uh, yeah, help I, you. I'll be tech support for the next your, month. Your problem you. there
2: is <laughs> now you couldn't afford me now. No? <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> you think I'm going to do this out of the goodness of my heart because I'm, we're friends? And we're <laughs> I'll be tech support for you, and you. <laughs> you know what painters make nowadays? Oh hour? yeah, that's why we did it ourselves because of what
1: the quote was that we. Got know, I for. would be happy to help
2: out <laughs> gratis, but um, so today is one of those days. But now we should we should do podcast stuff, and we should. It's um painting our way into a corner and not being able to talk <laughs> theology, but we'll get, the, we'll get out of that in a hurry. Right. So I think we're at Acts chapter 11 chapter in this series. Eleven, We are. Yeah. This is, uh, it's, it's again, we've mentioned several times that once you're reading in acts, you know, how do you stop? But our podcast, uh, readers of the Bible would find this to be true. And, um, This chapter falls on the heels hard on chapter 10, where the story is Peter in this introduction to ministry in in another culture.
1: Yeah, you can see that theme trickling into the last few chapters, and it's here again. Um,
2: Yeah, chapters 8 to 12 is this transition from working in the Jewish sectors of Jerusalem. Now you're in Judea, Samaria, and this is another part of this book chapters 11 and 12, that wraps up this transition section before we get to chapter 13 and Paul's on the road uh, for his journey. So we have some some grand Bible accounts here, and this chapter 11, while we won't spend a lot of time retelling the story because you did that with chapter 10, it is remarkable that in chapters 8 through 12 you have this, yes, the Savior Jesus is for all people. But the chapter 10 story for Peter, where it's right in his face with the sheet dropped down in the vision, and, and now it's reviewed because <laughs> the leaders of Jerusalem are saying to him, huh?
1: Yeah. What? Really?
2: <laughs> you know? And and to get it right in their face. And what's the takeaway, right? You and I, um, even though we're a generation apart, had, had an upbringing that is not totally dissimilar, you know, in that. We happen to be Caucasian males and called workers as our parents, and we're kind of in this, not only culturally but theologically, in this bubble of, of wellsdom and that's all fine and good. But w- chapter 11, what Peter learned in chapter 10, and then it's re—you uh, know now into the face of the Jewish leaders, stop thinking only about yourselves and being jealous that God is for you only and look outside and really recognize that these people are not just objects of your attention and, oh yeah, we should probably do some outreach, but they are not equal to you under God's love and you need to put energy into getting over the bigotry and the bias and say to yourself, I really enjoy and thrive on diversity. I don't care how different that culture is. And that's, the, that's that's the dagger in my heart, because I did not grow up understanding, you know, at a distance you can see other cultures, whether their skin color is different or not, their language is different or not. I did not appreciate the value that God has since the Tower of Babel of Genesis 11, that all people are targets of his grace and candidates of his grace, and we— now in my upbringing and maybe yours, I, I won't speak for you, but I know a very narrow mindset, got to broaden my view and say I'm passionate and learn to be passionate about our brothers and sisters that uh, Jesus died for too. And uh, no matter what our experiences are, and good or bad, we get over that. And, and it's, it's a sad it's a sad story. This, this, this chapter right here, 11, uh, becomes um, that and then chapter 15 when we're going to get to there where we have the uh, first big synod convention in the early church. And that was all about diversity also, the gospel to the Gentiles. But here it's right in the face of the Jewish leaders. These two chapters, especially 11, would be themes, uh, would be um, uh, uh, focal points for pastors of our church body working in the in the city and in the urban blighted areas economically in the uh, cross cultural experiences of ministry and say take a look and live this and they do and i learned <laughs> what I, I started here at ministry what did i know nothing nothing i just <laughs> what a what a goofball and scared and but you know you have brothers in ministry nearby in wells churches who are kind enough and patient enough to kind of take me under their wing and open my eyes and say, we have brothers and sisters that we dearly love, Jesus loves, and we're going to treat them not just as, I have a message for you and you need to hear, but I'm going to learn from you first. I'm going to learn, probably probably in my engagement, other than sharing the gospel, I'm probably with another cultural different person. I'm going to learn more from them that I can give other than the message of Jesus. And to have that mindset, I learned from a brother pastor. Uh, he taught me that, and I th- I've appreciated that to this day.
1: So this is—we're
2: kind of getting to the application part of this chapter, yeah. but it's really right, it, important.
1: Right, important. Important enough that the Holy Spirit's going to inspire this story twice. <laughs> like, just in case you were daydreaming during chapter 10, That's, we're going to yeah. going to tell it again, because this is a key point. Yeah, um, This is— Going to be huge, hugely formative for the New Testament gospel ministry. That this is yeah. the the drastic shift from from God's basic plan in the Old Testament was right. put that hedge around His people and make them like the magnet that draws others in. But it's God's chosen people, right. and now uh, that that shift to all nations, the the circles that are going to go out right. with the gospel to Jews and Gentiles alike.
2: You know, we've had, obviously, in our city, in our nation, sadly, a history of racial tension. And certainly you can bring in the conversation all the way back to Civil War days. And it's not just African American and Caucasian, but now obviously Hispanics or people of Pacific Rim or Native Americans. And I I just don't think that we on the Caucasian European history kind of side of things, always understand what it's like to put ourselves in the shoes of other people who are considered now, at, let's use the term, minorities, and what that feels like. Um, I, I just... I know i didn't i'll just speak for myself i just didn't know what that's like and i try to get myself in that feel and listen carefully because we can say easily i can say when somebody brings up the diversity issue and say oh sure god wants that let's get over it god you know jesus go and make disciples of all nations i'm all in favor of that why are you looking at me and talking to me about on the i believe that good you know clap my hands about world missions and But to personally own it and to really understand how hard it is, when we have members of our own congregation who here at Grace, the parents would have to tell a story that when they teach their kids how to drive, they're also teaching their kids how to behave when a policeman pulls them over, because a policeman will. I don't think when you train Elena to drive or or Lucas or Carl, you know, you're going to have that conversation. Right. And my grandkid is starting to drive now as a temporary license. I don't know if his parents are having that conversation, but I do know it's not just our Grace Church member, but they have to have that conversation with an African-American child. And that just tears my heart out because it will happen. And that's just not right. But we, we don't always understand that. And to be in their shoes and to think what that feels like helps us as Christians in our understanding and compassion so that we can share Jesus. If we don't have that same kind of in-your-shoes understanding and compassion, there's now another barrier to be able to share Jesus with people. Well... I'm sure for the podcast listeners, at by Fred Pastor Ackman, I'm preaching to the choir here. But this chapter brings that all out.
1: Yeah, and it's good to, you know, how do how do we apply what's happening here? This isn't just history and okay, check, got that story down mm-hmm. and move on. But no, things like this are happening in our lives too. Right, and and there's certainly applications to be made mm-hmm. in our culture and in our church.
2: I think it's important for us as pastors to do some modeling. You know, if we don't have a lot of minority people, we actually more than we, people would know because their skin tone may be um, closer to what would be a Caucasian type, but yet they're of a completely different culture, whether from different parts of the world or Europe or whatever. But certainly in our African-American friends and that we have a chance to rub elbows with and model how we enjoy the company and friendship of, and we just hope we have more opportunities like that as the days and years go by. So finally, we're all God's people, and we'll be in heaven together, and we can work together, and this is just quite a chapter. So anyway, without banging on that drum too long, right? So that's the beginning of 11, picking up on so what do you think when that whole end of the chapter happens, Pastor Hockman, and they're going to do this Antioch thing? Verse, Isn't it verse 19-something, those who've been scattered by the persecution? Yeah. That broke out from Stephen, traveled, right? I mean, persecution, you're thinking, well, that's the most horrible thing in the world. Well.
1: <laughs> right. It doesn't drive them underground or into hiding. They just <laughs> yeah, will go somewhere else. Yeah. And guess what we're taking with us? We're taking the gospel with us.
2: Yeah, it's an interesting thing as they're going north. You know, it says Phoenicia, right? So we think of Tyre and Sidon, and that goes countries of, you know, Lebanon and so on. And then uh, Cyprus and Antioch. Cyprus is that island. When you look at the Mediterranean map, I think a lot of people who are Bible readers and podcast listeners, there is an island that's shaped a little bit like a fist with a finger pointing. That's in the corner of the the. It would be the northeast corner of the Mediterranean, pointing towards Syria. That's the island of Cyprus. It's got that little configuration, so kind if you're of. You're looking for Syria, <laughs> Cyprus will yeah, help you find yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> Cyprus is pointing. Where's Syria? Well, Cyprus points to it, right? <laughs> and um, I just that's an interesting little account in itself, right?
1: And um, and then to see, uh, without jumping too far forward, how yeah. God uses the church in Antioch to to further his cause, and it becomes a a main church.
2: They are Uh, the headquarters for the world mission efforts of the early church. And then, you know, as that goes in this chapter, I think our podcast listeners would pick up on this right away. You know, you have uh, some of them, you know, people from Cyprus and Cyrene, which is North Africa, today Libya, right, Uh, went to Antioch, began to speak to the Greeks, the Lord blessed all this, and then news gets to Jerusalem, so they have to send Barnabas to check it out. Well, Barnabas is from Cyprus, right? So that's kind of a cool connection. Well, who are you going to send up there to check to see if this missionaries from Cyprus in northern Africa, from the island of Cyprus, and from are going to Antioch, and they're talking to because they have the Greek language thanks to the uh, Roman Empire's adaptation of Greek culture. So. And are they believers like we are? Well, who were you sent? Well, why don't we send Barnabas because he's from the island. He'll know these people, or at least of them. And that's just a yeah. cool connection there.
1: To, and to hear a great number of people believed oh and turn to the Lord. Um, and that happens
2: again in verse twenty four, right? So
1: this whole "let's make it more than just Jews; let's preach <laughs> to the Gentiles" is bearing fruit right away.
2: And the stage is getting set for chapter 13 when Barnabas goes up to Tarsus, which is around, you know, if you know the Mediterranean, it has that little corner underneath uh, what we call Asia Minor Turkey before you get around the corner to Syria. And Tarsus is on the bottom corner of that Asia Minor. He goes up around the corner and grabs Paul, who's been— Now, how long, this is an interesting thing, too. You find this from Galatians, right, when you're studying that. And Paul was converted, you know, chapter 9— and he has his little time in the desert, and then eventually goes to Jerusalem and introduces himself, and off he goes. And uh, whether you're counting from his conversion or whether you're counting from the time he spent in Jerusalem, either way, it's like a before he gets into full time ministry, there's a 14 year, Paul's in seminary training. How long right. did it get him to get ready? Whoa, <laughs> you know. Before Barnabas gets him and brings him around the corner to Antioch. That's just an interesting little connection here as this is all Peter, chapter 10, and into 11 is okay, to reach other cultures. Barnabas is sent, a Cyprus dude, north to check out these people who are now coming to faith. He brings Paul in, where we're, we're going to go to all the other cultures with his, this is all transitioned at the end of chapter 11. And then the impetus for some of Paul's work and his travels is certainly a second missionary journey. He's gathering offerings for people who are in famine. Well, that's all predicted and starting to hit at the end of chapter 11. It's all tied together.
1: Right. And how God is using his people to support mission work yeah. and, and uses Barnabas to get Paul <laughs> in contact with the people who can support the sending out and— um, just working his will, and you can just see this happening Yeah. Um, with God, God's got his plan in mind and he's putting the pieces all in place yeah. and in play and ready to launch his worldwide have, mission. Have there work.
2: been times when humans are involved with God's direction and blessing in ministry that it isn't the best fit? Well, it was true. We're going to find out another chapter when they have a journey and Mark doesn't, Match quite exactly with Paul's priorities, and he ended up not lasting a full stint and left. Then he worked later with Paul very clearly became dear friends, and you know at the end. So, but has that happened? Like, let's just take our little tiny little visible gathering of believers known as um, the well, the Wells, right? And in in what we don't say the in Wells and that that the Lord God would raise up people with unique gifts to do, start new churches in America or serve churches that are larger that can financially support others or have the gifts to do, I just, it blows me away, you know, that I have a classmate from high school, um, two of them, one joined at ninth right away when I started, and then one came to our school as a 10th grader, but it didn't matter. And um, studied for ministry, and one ended up spending his entire career, nearly except for about three or four years, in uh, the Southeast Asia. And one of my classmates, and he's re- just tro- chose to retire, but recently he's, he knows Mandarin as well as English. I probably told you that story one time. There was a seminar that I did, and he had flown in for some, and and he told me this when I we were just catching up with each other and how was life and he he had this and I, he he flew into Minneapolis and was in a rental car and he had some prayer thoughts and he said I couldn't pray in English. My prayer thoughts are in Mandarin. <laughs> that tells you, you know. And another classmate spent a large portion of his ministry in Colombia, and he is so bilingual. And we have others like that. Those are just two examples that we have. God putting people in the right place at the right time that uh, his gospel, his good news goes out around the globe. We see it in Acts chapter 11, and we're blessed to be able to see it today. The right people in the right position, and the, it's just really neat to, in the hand of God working behind all that. I think really significant. Yeah. Did you, by the way, as we're going to, maybe we shouldn't go on forever on these chapters, but um, I did find... It' fascinating. I'm sure you did too. You know, we get that reference to the prophet Agabus, who's standing up and predicting the future. He's going to show up again in later chapter in this wonderful book and make a prediction about Paul being going to. You know, you'll make it to Rome and under you captured. But then there's that parenthetical comment about Claudius. So we're we're not at the end of the Julio Claudian family of emperors. You know, we have Caesar Augustus. And he's mentioned in the Bible, and Tiberius is mentioned in the Bible. I believe uh, Caesar Augustus is like 27 B.C. until 14 A.D., and then 14 to 34 is Tiberius, and that's in that Jesus ministry time. And so he's mentioned in connection with the beginning of John the Baptist's ministry and Jesus, so right. Tiberius is in the Bible. But then you have uh, an odd character when you do some study of Roman emperors, a Julio-Claudian family. They're known as a Caligula. and um, following on Tiberius for about, I'm going to say about seven years, but between Tiberius and Claudius is 41 to 54 AD. And before him would be Caligula, who was pretty gross. Some wonder about his mental state. Claudius had his own unique characteristics, even caused persecution. But by the time he's off the scene in 54 AD, then it's Nero. And that's the end of the Julio-Claudian reign of emperors. And then there was another dynasty that began after that. But Claudius fits in that list, and here it is in Scripture, another Roman emperor in that Julio-Claudian family, the third one mentioned. Sure, It pegs this historically for us, but also does say something about, again, the veracity of Scripture. And... We don't need history to prove the Bible, but it is interesting that when God actually places a real Savior in a real world, in real time, with real people, and actual historical events are happening, like the death and resurrection of God's own Son. (laughs) And our salvation is not some esoteric, ethereal floating out there, cloudy little hope, dream, made up. Joseph Smith angels talked to me and I got golden tablets. No, this is real fact. Really born in this world, took on human flesh, really lived, really died, really rose at the right time in the world's history of God. History is not just random acts that happen. It's God's story of salvation for us. (laughs) everything that he wanted for us to be saved and that little mention of Claudius underscores that great truth this is true in fact it's It's most certainly. certainly true
0: thanks for listening. We'd love to share more about God's love with you. Check us out at www.gracedowntown.org. There you'll find worship times, our pastor's contact info, and a lot of information about our ministry in and to downtown Milwaukee. We hope to connect you to the grace of God again soon.